Hello and welcome to episode 1072 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Friday, July 1st. I'm your host, Paul Spore. Flying solo again, wrapping up the standout hitters uh, of the first half and kind of the outlook on them going forward. We're going to do the National League this time around. Covered the American League yesterday, so if you missed that episode, check that one out. And uh, let's just get right into it again. Just looking at a hitter, not on every team. I couldn't find one on every team. I couldn't. I wanted to do every team. Some teams just didn't have it. Sometimes that meant that you it was because it was too good of a team. For example, the Dodgers, I couldn't really find anybody that fit. And then in some cases, it meant that you were too garbage of a team, like my Tigers. I couldn't find anybody. So it's not every team represented. Let's start with Jeff McNeil. And again, this, these guys kind of run a... a wide spectrum of player types some are waiver pickups some were drafted in deeper leagues um you know you can you kind of get the vibe i mean yesterday we ran we ran the gamut from somebody like a cal raleigh who's a deeper league two two catcher situation or like uh, let's say even a franchi cordero or santiago espinal might even be lower than them all the way up to taylor ward who's a in, uh, in all formats must start right now so Again, there's not a particular player type. It's just somebody who's been a standout and what can they do going forward. So you look at Jeff McNeil, and he's had a nice bounce back season. He's toting a 142 WRC plus. Babbitt's up big time, literally 80 points up to a 360 mark. That has his line at 323, 384, 57. That's been huge. There hasn't really been a power jump. I mean, it, it's been there, but it's it's more in line with 20, the, the shortened 20, than it is with uh, the 19, which is going to always stand out as kind of his, his spike year. You know, the ball was wild. That obviously played a role in it. Might have been all of it. Maybe he was selling out for power knowing that the ball was playing that way. You know, he kind of like, maybe it's just like he knows his limits. And so unless the ball is springy, Maybe Jeff McNeil's like, I don't I don't need to go for homers. I can contribute like this. I don't know. But he hit 23 that that year. And he has, uh, let's see, 15 cents in 239 games, which is a 106 more than he had in all of 2019. So power's not a big part of his game. He has four homers, two steals. But 33 runs, 33 ribbies. He's definitely contributing at a, a pretty substantial level. Obviously, when you're hitting that kind of batting average, in this environment, no less. 323 is going to play in any era, but in this era, it's really nice. So even if you're only pacing for 10 homers, 5 steals, you're going 80-80 on the runs. Ribbies, with the big batting average, there's enough there for him to have value in that CIMI, um, CIMI outfield range. I think, he, I think he has all three of those. Let me actually check that. Oh, just second and outfield. So middle or your fourth, fifth outfielder with Jeff McNeil. I think you're feeling like you're in a pretty good spot. Another catcher on this list, William Contreras, Wilson's brother, is doing a great impression of Big Bro. The 24-year-old backstop for the Braves has nine homers already, one more than he had all of last year in 45 fewer plate appearances. 19 ribbies, two steals, 19 runs, 264 average is really nice too. Basically, I think I think the average jump is is 100% just a a better Babbitt. 
He is hitting a few more ground balls, which can actually add to BABIP, so that would check out. But it's up from 265 to 308. I don't really see anything else. You know, there's a little bit of a hard hit jump, too. And those things all work in concert. So, I, I, again, I don't say the BABIP thing to be like, that's lucky, he's not earning it. I'm saying that that rise in BABIP is driving the batting average gains, although 308 is hardly egregious. 265 was pretty low. The fact that he's hitting the ball harder and he hitting it on the ground a bit more, that's going to help a few more hits get through. William Contreras does have a 32% homer to fly ball rate, which is pretty egregious. It was 23% last year. I mean, so he can... He's shown, at least in 335 plate appearances, that he can maintain a pretty high homer to fly ball rate with a 16% barrel rate. That's excellent. Like, he, he barrels the ball up. So when he gets it, he gets it. So despite having a low fly ball rate, he can still hit some good homers. But I'm not expecting that rate to keep up. Now, one of the big issues with him that I've been seeing kind of float around uh, fantasy Twitter is how do we get this guy playing time? And I tell you what, that... That Manny Pena injury, some of y'all might have thought, hey, this is great. This is going to get him, you know, guaranteed secondary role. It's not great for William Contreras. I would I would make the case that it's actually been worse because now he's the full-on backup and they can't play him as much at DH and left field because you don't want, you don't necessarily want to have your backup in the lineup when your starter's out there too. Like you don't want to put both your catchers at risk. It's just generally the way teams operate. He's DH'd twice this week, um, uh, William Contreras has, so that's good. But he was playing some outfield as well, uh, and I think this was before the Manny Pena injury, and now obviously a, a, a lot of that's dried up. We got DH here. Let me see. When did Manny Pena get hurt? Let's do a little, uh, let's do a little deep dive here. Let's make sure that I'm not just talking out my rear worse than normal. April 24th was his last game for Manny Pena. So actually, I might have been talking on my rear because Contreras came up after that. So I am full of crap. Completely. Um, let's see. One, two, uh, how many DH starts? We've had 23, 21 starts at catcher, 12 at DH, and just one in the outfield. None of it's related to Manny Pena. I guess the playing time... Okay, so I thought it was... I thought that was a reason that the playing time had maybe uh, started to go back into a backup catcher's situation. I think it might just be because Darno is killing it then because I don't understand. I really don't. And I was definitely wrong about the, the Manny Pena thing. It had nothing to do with it. That opened the door for Contreras. So that was indeed good as expected. I had my timelines completely jacked. So... I mean, who are they DHing when they're not DHing uh, DHing him? Uh, him being William Contreras. Let's see. Uh, Mike Ford got a random DH spot. Marcelo Zuna. Oh yeah, that means they have to commit to Marcelo Zuna and left. That's the tough part there. I don't know though. I he is not getting as much playing time. There there isn't as much playing time for William Contreras, and I'm not sure that I quite understand. Why he isn't playing as much. I know Darno's killing it too, but surely you got to find room for an 887 OPS with nine homers and two steals, right? Braves fans, let me know. Let me know what's going on there. Is it just a standard split? Or am I tripping? I mean, listen, I'm looking at it now and I'm like questioning everything I thought. Because over the last six games, which is what um, roster resource shows, Darno's played five and Contreras has played four including those two DHs. 
So that seems fine. Maybe my biggest problem was trusting the people that were complaining about the playing time without investigating that first. I mean, I do look and I see, you know, he missed the game on June 9th, uh, missed two games on the 13th and 14th, missed on the 17th, missed on the 20th, 21st, 25th. So I think that's that's kind of what it is. Um, is I guess that is a block of, of recent misses. What is that? Uh, six, seven. Seven in a in a ten in, in a seventeen game span, so I get it, I get it, but you're still holding him two catcher leagues. He's been gold, William Contreras, one catcher leagues. I think you can even hold um, twelve teamer for sure, ten teamer. I think even with the volume being lessened, like you can kind of trade off the volume for the quality. So yeah, I think all formats right now easy hold. Miami, you know we got to do John Birdie. You know we got to do that. Come on. 22 steals, leading baseball. That's insane. Even has a couple homers. 14 ribbies, 27 runs, 281, 371, 339 line. Very good stuff. And I got to give credit to Brent Hershey over at uh, Baseball HQ. Let me see if I can find this real quick. Maybe I can find specifics. I'm going to explain to you what I'm talking about here. So I do the, uh, I contribute to the forecaster, the um, Baseball HQ forecaster. And Brent's my, um, Brent's my editor and he's awesome. They, I talked about this on, on the show before, how much I love the editing process. Uh, it's challenging in the best ways, helps me become a better writer. Obviously those are small caps too. So I was a little, um, I was a little cautious uh, on Birdie, mostly because I was just like, where's the playing time going to be? And Brent encouraged me to be like, hey, let's just make sure that we're not selling him short, that we don't bring anything to that, you know, we pretend Birdie doesn't bring anything to the table. We kind of get people completely off the scent, even if the playing time wasn't obvious to start, because this is what happens on teams. You just never know, right? Like, we didn't expect Wendell and Chisholm to be out at the same time. And he was getting playing time when either was out, and then now they're both out. And there is room for Birdie to kind of bounce around even when everybody's healthy. But he wouldn't be leading off every day the way he is right now. So it's not that Brent or anybody necessarily saw that coming. It's it's the opportunity potential. And even absent the full playing time, there was always that Gerard Dyson Rajay Davis appeal to Birdie, wherein he doesn't need to be a full-time player to have fantasy value. Like the the volume of steals, even in a short time, are absolutely enough to keep somebody like that in a in a lot of formats. Not every single one. Obviously, right now he's in all formats, must have um, for John Birdie. But there were definitely there, there there's definitely a scenario when he isn't. Um, playing full-time where it's like, okay, a little bit fringier in 10 teams, things like that. But yeah, right now you just ride this out. This is excellent. Um, even when the guys come back, when Wendell and Chisholm come back, it's not going to spell the end of Bertie. You know, the way baseball works, probably something else will crop up and he can take that spot. But even if it doesn't, he's playing well enough. This isn't just the fantasy goodness of his steals. He has a 118 WRC plus. So he's, I mean, he's going to play. Or 124, excuse me, I sold him short. That was ISO 118. I should have noticed the period in front of it like a doofus. Yeah, 124 WRC plus, 1.6 war already for Birdie. 
He's not going anywhere. Next up on Washington, this guy, this is so funny to even start this like this, but it feels this way. He feels like Luis Garcia is some like post-hype prospect also ran when he's 22 years old. Like I, I think there is basis for that feeling because of the way he was kind of uh, forgotten this year at draft tables and not even really mentioned by many people. So I, I don't think this is like a made-up feeling with regards to Luis Garcia that he kind of feels forgotten at age 22. But he was. He was kind of discarded after 110 poor games as a major leaguer. And it's like, oh, well, who cares? And Washington's also not very good. So I think that that kind of lowered his profile. So he goes back down to AAA this year, crushes, just absolutely slams. The way he did last year at AAA, showing that, hey, he's got he's got that level kind of kicked. Like he's, he's got that one all set through at least 352 plate appearances, which, you know, it's still pretty small sample overall, but when you've been exempl- as exemplary as Garcia has, 154 WRC plus last year when he was there, 134 this year for the Nats prospect, you pretty much say, hey, I got to be challenged at the major league level. And on a team like this too, it's like, what, what, what aren't you challenging him for? Like, what do you, what do you hold him down there for? So they finally brought him up, and he's actually stayed hot and kept, kept that uh, awesome start going. At the major league level, he has a 124 WRC plus, 327 average, 336 OBP, 481 slug, two homers, 11 ribbies and 12 runs in 107 plate appearances so far. I know my colleague Jeff Zimmerman has been a fan, and, and I think he even preached in the offseason, like, hey, don't don't bury this dude. Like, don't just forget about him. There's still some there's still some value there. And, you know. He's completely right, and it's been it's been nice to see. And I, again, it feels weird to even pretend that it was like, oh, he climbed out of the depths. No, he didn't. It was a slow start to his career, and he just had normal prospect growth, which isn't linear. And here he is now. And we don't even know if this sticks, so I don't even want to pretend like it's signed, sealed, and delivered. But it's certainly not signed, sealed, and delivered on the other end either. And that's the main point. Even if he fell off this year, I still wouldn't be out on Luis Garcia. But I do love what he's doing, um, especially at the minor league level. At the major league level, I'd like to see him get the walks going again. He had an 8% rate at AAA this year, 9% last year. He's only has a 1% walk rate so far at the major league level. He's walked once in 104 plate appearances, 107, I should say. But we'll see what happens when things kind of slow down a little bit. Like he's hitting the ball really hard. He's got a 386 BABIP. Let's see when that smooths out. The hits aren't dropping as much. Does Luis Garcia kind of get his patience back on track a bit? Because that one percent, obviously, even with a low K rate, you don't want one percent. That's that's rough. All right, moving over to Milwaukee. Let's talk about Rowdy Telez. I feel like whenever people want to bury him, he rises right back up. So he's one of those streaky guys. I mean, this is a very popular profile in baseball. This big time power guy that when they get hot, they are just awesome. They're hitting a couple homers uh, in a week. You know, hell, a couple homer games. Like he's had two two homer games in the last four. But yeah, they end up hitting like five six homers in a week, eight in a three week span type of deal, and then they go quiet for a while. Then they rise back up. Then they go quiet. Then they rise back up. It's like one of the, it's like inconsistent. So maybe it's a a rough hang as far as head to head. But I'm primarily roto, and so I'm just worried about the bottom line. And the bottom line is still 
quite good with Rowdy Telez. 244 average, 318 OBP, 484 slug, 15 homers. Good for a, what is that? A one, let me find his name. 119 WRC plus, 21% K rate, 9% walks. That's a great rate. Those are great profiles, especially the strikeouts. Like he does not have a bunch of swing and miss in his game. Rowdy Telez makes contact with the ball. I do wonder if maybe there's any potential for the BABIP to rise too, because while he is a power hitter and he's about a one-to-one -one fly ball to ground ball, that's not too egregious. Like he doesn't live in the air and yet he's always kind of maintained lower than normal BABIPs sitting at 276 for his career and 258 on the season. Despite a really good 21% K rate, wonder if there's more hits to fall in. But you love the power, and the 244 average is not too bad. We've talked about it a million times on the show this year. The era that we're in, 244 is not killing you. Think of it like pretty much like a 260 or something in the 250s from previous years. Yes, the ball has stopped being as waterlogged and awful with the summer heating up and all that and perhaps even a change to the ball. I wouldn't even be surprised. Cannot rule that out with Major League Baseball. But we are still in a lower offensive environment than normal. Like, it's not completely fixed from April. So 244, I'm still, I'm still sticking with that. And just when you start doubting Cardinals Devil Magic, do they come out with one of their best yet from the lab? They developed prototypical baseball player Brendan Donovan. <laughs> just like solid at everything, great at nothing. Probably could catch if you needed him to for some reason. He'll definitely pitch later this year because that shit's never dying. But like this is Cardinals Devil Magic to a T. This is, you know, lower tier prospect. 25, which hell in today's game. Actually, he's seventh in their in their system. So not lower tier. I, I don't want to overstate that. But like mid-tier. Mid-tier. Um, so 45 future value. Like that's that's a quality player that can that can spike big runs. Um, I learned a lot playing OOTP about player valuations and just like range of outcomes in particular. Like a 45 guy, I think that's actually, like they have a color coding in OOTP. I think a 45 is a yellow. So like, you know, it, uh, blue is for the high end. Like if you're 70 or above, green, if you're, uh, I, I do I do by the fives. I don't, I'm not, I don't go 20, 30, 40 on the 20, 80. I, I do by the fives. So I think like 50 to 65 is green and then um or no to 55 and then 45 50 is yellow and then 50 or 40 and below excuse me is orange and then you know you know you can associate that i guess 20 is actually red so i shouldn't say 45 and below 20 20 25 and 30 are actually red and so yellow you know like that's that's okay that's middle and a 45 profile you can have all-star seasons from them you can you can really do that like Obviously, the Cardinals' success predates OTP, but I bet if any of their front office people over the years, when they've been at their peak of devil magic, they probably thrived at finding the best 45s to just pop off in their OTP seasons because that just seems to be what they do. And Brendan Donovan is, is maximizing what this skill set can be. He's riding a high 377 Babbitt. He's not striking out with an 18% mark, 12% walk rate. Like none of these skills are fraudulent. Uh, the Babbitt will come down from 377, of course, but that's a great plate profile. He doesn't have much power, just a little bit 
to be dangerous with 14 doubles, a triple, and two homers. And, you know, just fundamentally sound. I can't speak to how good his defense is. I don't know if he plays every position because he can hang there or because they can't find him one. It's, it's one of two things usually with a uh, with a utility man. They, they can't dominate anywhere, so it's like, that oh, we'll just stick you around all over the place. Uh, or you're quite good at everything, so we'll just slot you where we need you type of deal. So let's see. Um, I'm reading there uh, our profile here from Eric Loggenhagen and, oh, just him, because this one's recent. So this is Eric only on July 1st. And this is from today. What fortune. What absolute. I'm not even being sarcastic. I know I sound sarcastic. No, that's amazing. I had no idea that this came out today. So that's perfect. Uh, but Brendan Donovan, it's, it looks like it's more of the he doesn't really dominate anywhere. So let's play everywhere type of thing. Um, while he's not a spectacular defender at any spot, his versatility on its own is a valuable skill and in concert with his offensive skill set is likely to help him crack the lineup on most days as a valuable super utility. So, you know, the peak of this, of course, is, is Ben Zobris, right? This is, that's the model. Not everyone's going to be that. That's, that's the, you know, top level outcome. But this isn't too bad of a version. This is an above average outcome of that, at least so far through 209 plate appearances with Brendan Donovan. And I really think that that he he's shown himself to be valuable in more than just the deepest fantasy leagues. I'm actually really curious to see how rostered he is at ESPN and um, Yahoo. Let me take a look. 67% at Yahoo, 47% at ESPN. I, I'm impressed that Yahoo is, is using him that much. I don't know if they do anything different that would make their game more uh, viable for somebody like Donovan. Do, do they maybe use middle and corner by default and ESPN doesn't or something? I don't know. But that's um, those those rates aren't bad. And But he plays everywhere. I understand in a 10-teamer, if you don't need average especially, like there's not enough power. So I get it, right? He, it, he might be the classic that Justin and I say, he's viable for a 10-teamer, but not necessarily your roster. You may be... Uh, one of the eight teams that can't use him, but there's probably at least two in your league, even in a 10-teamer, that can use Brendan Donovan. So do with that what you will. 12-teamers, te I think any team can find a spot for him. And, of course, 15-teamers, he's absolute gold, even with his 6-6 six and six homer and stolen base uh, um, paces because he's pacing for about 80 runs and ribbies and that 307 average. That's not too bad. All right, moving over to the Cubs, Christopher Morrell, Things are getting a little interesting with him right now. And interesting not so much in a good way because I think we're at a pivotal spot right now where we have to wonder if the Ks might be becoming a little bit too much for the Cubs to still run him out there every day as the leadoff guy. Now, I think he's doing enough with the power and speed to where he's going to merit fantasy uh, uh, interest, going to continue to merit that fantasy interest. He did bat nine two days in a row and then Friday's lineup is already out because that game's about to start in about an hour, and he's batting second uh, against a lefty. Uh, Ortega is the one who's filled in at leadoff in the interim there, and he's a lefty, so that makes sense that Morrell would get back up there. But I will tell you that this month, now he did respond to batting ninth by absolutely popping off. Let me get to that first before I do the month thing. He's gone seven for nine with two homers and uh, five runs scored and four ribbies, including a double as well, one strikeout. He's like, hey, guys, I'm fine down here, all right? If this is where I got a bat, but I can still be in the lineup, I'm chilling. I'm absolutely chilling. So in the previous, let me let me do like a little 30-game samp here. 
in the previous 30 games before getting moved down, before they said, go bat ninth. He was striking out 33% of the time. So they were kind of like, that's not so chill. One third of your at-bats. 8% walk rate was still these, but he was at 246, 301, 408. So right on that line with a 301 OBP. And you just you just can't have uh, negative OBP. His, his first, by the way, that, that just lops off his first eight games when he had a 406 OBP. He was really going crazy with the walks for that uh, for those first few games. And that was great and all. And there is still some walk rate here with Christopher Morrell, but not not a not a premier walk rate that's gonna be enough to hold the um to hold the leadoff spot. It looks like he's kind of lost it against righties. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Yeah, you had a 13% walk rate in those first eight games. I mean it's four walks. It's nothing. And listen, you were right to go get him off rip once you started seeing him, you know, homers and steals with Christopher Morrell, people that went and picked him up. Even moving down to nine, that's fine. That's okay. Like, you knew he was going to regress from where he was. He still has a 381 Babbitt. That's still coming down. He's probably like a 250. He's probably like a 250, 10 and 10 the rest of the way. Even if it's a 235. Let's go, let's go real negative on the batting average. Let's go 235, 10 and 10 for Christopher Morrell rest of the season. I mean, you're playing that. Actually, let's see. Let's do a test here. Going with the bat X projection. They have him for seven and eight with a 233 average the rest of the season. Only 64 games. Might play more than that, but we'll just go off of that. Let's see where that lands him amongst hitters. Amongst hitters. That makes him 191st. That's actually pretty tough. So that would mean that he's probably only 15 team worthy at that point. 12 team, it'd be pretty fringe. So that's fair. I think that's fair. You know, 233, 7, and 8, um, that's not as good. Now, if he is at the 235, 10, and 10, that raises the threshold a bit. I think that I think that would get him into more of the 12 team realm. But 10 teamers would then. So basically, I think on it's on a line right now with Morrell and 10 teamers. If you're holding him, you can keep riding it out because, again, he had those two huge games when he got moved down and said, listen, I can handle this. But you're, you're monitoring him. It's not a set it and forget it with Christopher Morrell. If you have him in shallow leagues, you need to be monitoring this. Don't get caught looking up three weeks into a, um, you know, 10 WRC plus run, okay? If you get caught looking there, I think you, you weren't paying enough attention. So that's Christopher Morrell for the Cubs. Another catcher here, another catcher eligible guy, Jorge Alfaro for the Padres. Now, he started getting some late buzz in spring training because he was crushing, like absolutely tattooing the ball. I think he had like eight or nine homers in spring, maybe even more than that. Like It was, it was a lot. It was enough to be like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at this. I'm not going to you know, move him up my board uh, 200 spots or anything, but it was enough to be like, oh, word. Let me go. Let me see what he did. I'm pretty sure he had a nice spring, Jorge Alfaro. He hit four, excuse me. It was four, but it was in 10 games. And he went 10 for 24. 417, 462, 1,000 was his slug. So it was a small sample burst in spring. And it was like, okay, we'll monitor it. And then um, the question was, like, they have 412 catchers. Is there going to be playing time for Alfaro? Well, then the Padres are like, we could play him in the outfield a bit. We would be open to that. Because we believe in his bat, we want to get him 
we want to get them into the uh, uh, onto the field a bit. Well, that hasn't really come to fruition. What happened instead was they traded Victor Caratini, cleared up some of that catcher uh, uh, backlog there, and I believe. Let's see if I'm correct on this. Um, let me see what Austin Nola's breakdown has been. Okay, it hasn't been much. Never mind. He's played six DH and had two innings at second base. I thought he was playing off a little bit more. But anyway, Alfaro's played 43 games. He's had 34 starts at catcher, four at DH, and then he's come in as a pinch hitter on three different games. And he's hitting with, with six homers and a steal. He's hitting 281, 314, 479 for Jorge Alfaro. Easily the best output of his career. Now, there isn't a big change in the plate skills. In fact, there isn't any change. His strikeout rate's actually worse with a higher swinging strike rate. The walk rate is up one point. Who cares? It's a 389 BABIP that's helping. He's always maintained an insane BABIP, though. So that's not the only driver. A colossal jump in barrel rate has been the real key here. A six-point jump, and there's been lift, liftoff for Alfaro. Seven-point jump in line drive rate, nine-point jump in ground ball rate, 22% to 31 and that has fueled the barrel rate jump from 8% to 14%. His launch angle's up from 1.8 degrees to 10.2. And I know it's throwing a lot of numbers when you're listening. If you're like me, you're probably like not able to digest all of it. Bottom line, Jorge Alfaro has found lift. And combined with the career-long high BABIPs he's had, he's a 375 career. My man has always had crazy high BABIPs. Combined with that, it has this great run cooking right now. I do still project reject regression regression <laughs> regression because 33% Ks and 5% walk. You're just gonna hit a cold snap at some point. But there is C2 viability here for Alfaro in any format. Any two-catcher format, I'm interested right now. Quality team. Um, he bats in the middle of the order when he does play. And even in something like a 10. Uh, it would depend what your options are for sure. But just like I mentioned with William Contreras. Because the performance is so strong, you can give back a little bit of the uh, volume there. At least I believe you can. So it all depends on the options that are available. But I do think you can you could stretch 10-team catcher 2 viability for Alfaro. Other than that, it's easy. 12-team, you don't have to even justify it. 15-team, obviously he's a lock. Next up with the Giants is Evan Longoria. He's back, baby. He, uh, he got hurt to start the season, which was a bummer. But uh, in 40 games so far, eight homers, 18 ribbies, and he's got the pretty much the line that he had from last year. A little bit better in some spots, a little bit worse in others. More power, a little bit less of the batting average in OBP, but he's hitting 256, 343, 504 for Evan Longoria. Kind of continuing what he did in the half season last year. Injuries derailed him, and injuries are still a major threat to him. Uh, at age 36 and given what he's dealt with in his career, which he's actually had a really interesting trajectory in his career. When he first came up, he was a stalwart, 157, 151 games after his rookie year of 122, which I assume, well, actually, I shouldn't assume. Hang on. I thought he, I think he actually broke camp. So maybe he did have a year one injury. But basically those first three years, he was mostly healthy, Evan Longoria was. And then... No, he came up 10 games into the season. No, he was a classic, like... Oh, no, he did have a 30-game miss, though. August 7th to September 13th. So he did get an injury his first season, but then two healthy seasons after that. But then the two injured seasons of 2011 and 2012 earned 
Roland Longoria this like real fragile reputation. It was very bizarre. He really got hammered for fragility for those two seasons, even though he'd had two fully healthy seasons and then a pretty healthy rookie year. 508 point appearances. That's pretty good. And I thought he got mislabeled. And then he went on like a an Ironman run. From 2013 through 2017, he missed six, 12 games. He missed 12 games, including a, a 162 in 2014, three 160s, and a 156. He was an absolute stud. Well, then he hit 32. He went out to the San Francisco, and injuries have been a part of his career since, which makes sense for a mid-30s player. But he's hitting, and he's been hitting brilliantly. Like when he first got to San Francisco, he's kind of a ho-hum league average, deep league type of guy. But he's made himself more valuable in shallower mixers over these last two years, at least as somebody that you can play while healthy. You always got to be ready to possibly replace Evan Longoria because of his injuries. But damn, I mean, the production is off the charts. You really, really have to appreciate the power that he's giving from third base. And, you know... The thing was, because he started with an injury this year, I think he was a bit overlooked. He might still be too widely available. In fact, yes, 9% at Yahoo, 4% at ESPN. I'm sorry. There's no way that they can't find a 138 OPS, uh, uh, WRC Plus to put on these teams. There's just no way. So that those numbers are criminally low. See, you know, check check your wire. See what you're rocking at corner or util. But you might, you might be able to fit in Longoria, man. He's insane. Christian Walker in Arizona is having a really weird season where his his basically his singles really aren't falling, but everything else is incredible. His power is amazing. He's cut his strikeout rate. He's raised his walk rate. He's, you know, tattooing the ball. He's got a huge nine-point jump in barrel rate from 6% to 15%. Um, hard hit rate up four points to 45%. Now, Part of the reason that the singles aren't falling, he has a 180 Babbitt, which is hilarious. Because 19 of his 52 hits are homers. Those don't go into the Babbitt. So then, you know, he's just not hitting singles. Plain and simple, he has 22 singles. Part of it is his own doing. A 180 Babbitt should regress regardless. But part of this this great power surge is a 10-point jump in fly ball rate up to 49%. And you know, once you get around that 50% mark, that you can do some pretty screwy things to your BABIP that won't necessarily regress, quote unquote, how they should. So you can't necessarily expect Christian Walker to even work his way back toward his career 284, let alone the 300 plus mark that he had each of the last three years, culminating in a 311 combined BABIP. So you really, you really got to be careful here with, uh, with Walker if you can't take the batting average on. But the power production has been amazing. 19 homers and 39 ribbies. Like, how, how can you deny it? You, you just can't. So hopefully you have some batting average cushion and you can find a way to take this on because he's been so damn good. So damn good. At least with the power. And then our last guy here in the National League is going to be Connor Joe. Somebody that I talked a lot about in the offseason that I really liked out in Colorado. Then they signed Chris Bryant and Randall and traded for Randall Grichuk, and everyone's like, well, that spells the end of Joe. Yours truly stayed steadfast behind Connor Joe until I got sniped in my main event. But I, I was still going with him. And he's been their leadoff hitter, and he's having a hell of a season. Um, I mean, okay, hell of a season overstates it. But for what you paid for, he's he's been what I wanted. He's been exactly what I thought Connor Joe could be. He has a 
108 WRC plus, which isn't crazy. I don't go too much by WRC plus for Colorado Rockies, though. I think it punishes them a lot. Like it really dampens their home numbers. And I don't think it has any, um, any impact for Coors hangover effect to like lessen the negativity of their road numbers. I think it just kills them on the road and deflates them too much at home. What, what he has, uh, Connor Joe is a 277, three, 374, 399 line. And your league doesn't care where that batting average came from. It's 277, whether it comes in Miami's spacious park or in Colorado's beautiful park to hit, which is also spacious in the outfield, but that's part of why it allows so many hits. Now he's only pacing for 12 homers and nine steals. This is not league winner type stuff, but 92 runs are great. 38 RBIs, you do have to plan around that. That's that's very, very low. But when you're getting good average, a chip in stolen base that does help the bottom line. Nine steals really moves the needle. 12 homers, which does not help, but can be can be massaged. You can get those. Basically, what you need, I think, I think it's 12 teamers where you need 23 homers per roster spot to be in the upper third uh, of home runs. So you can get those other 11 homers. You can spread those out pretty easily. Like 12 is not bad. And the 92 runs is great. You do have to get the RBIs elsewhere too, though. Like a Pete Alonso with a Connor Joe's is a pretty good pairing. But don't forget when you do that, you are, you've now eaten up Pete's surplus power and given it to another player. It, so it's not on top, really, if you think about it. it. It's just kind of brought your team back to even. So, you know, when you when you pair a big power hitter with more of a slapster like Connor Joe, don't think, ah, my work is done. Think about getting two big, you know, you get Kyle Schwarber and Pete Alonzo to cover a Connor Joe or to cover a speed rabbit if you like to go that way. Like you need two guys. You need the one to bring you back even and then the other guy to push you back over the top. So that's kind of how I look at it when I'm, when I'm team building and I take on some of these guys that are really going to be low in the home run totals. And what I mean really low, basically what I mean is fewer than 15. That's when I start to get in the danger zone of like, I need to replace those lost homers because how many guys are you really going to have that are going to hit 30 plus, you know? So you got to be mindful of that. But anyway, I love Connor Joe. He's been great. Playing time has not been a problem at all. He's played 69 games out of their, how many? How many unnice games has Colorado played? Because their number not nice. No shot. He's played uh, out of 76. So he's missed seven games. Got no problem with that. That's not really seeing a major time loss there for Connor Joe. So running over our NL guys again, Jeff McNeil for the Mets, William Contreras for the Braves, John Birdie for the Marlins, Luis Garcia for the Nats, Rowdy Telez for the uh, Brewers, excuse me, Brendan Donovan for the Cardinals, Christopher Morrell for the Cubs, Jorge Alfaro for the Padres, Evan Longoria for the uh, Giants, Christian Walker for the Diamondbacks, and Connor Joe for the Rockies. So there you have it. My outlook on these guys the rest of the season. A lot of them you're really hanging on to right now. I don't think you got to try to get out from under too many of them. You just got to be smart about it, right? Like with Christopher Morrell, if you end up cutting him, okay, fine. You know, like who, who was he before the season started? You might not have even known who he was. I think we have to be more comfortable in accepting that players are sometimes just going to give us a time period of, of being on our team. Like it's okay 
for someone not to be a rest of season option. That's why we have moves. That's why I don't like to do rest of season pitching rankings. Why? I'm going to make so many changes. Why do I have to try to predict what the hell is going to happen in August and September? You know? So before I start another 20-minute rant on something else, I'll end this. I hope you all have a good weekend. Enjoy the 4th if you do anything, even if it's just sitting around taking a day off. Enjoy your breather. Uh, but if you go out with friends, family, or barbecuing, or whatever, do all that and enjoy it and be safe. I'll talk to you all later. Peace.